0: Topic that influences everyone. Treasure that lies in our country.
1: There's actually possibility to make the change
0: and include everybody in the transition that we need to make.
1: It's not only a matter of environment, but it's also
0: a matter of
2: people. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bioeconomy Matters. This is your host, Hailey Chantar, and we have some
0: positive news for you today. Planet
1: positivity. Planet positivity. Planet
0: positivity. Your positive news about sustainability. Hey everyone, welcome to Planet Positivity. Today we are diving into three remarkable stories that highlight innovation, progress and commitment to environmental stewardship. First up, let's talk about the power of green spaces in cooling urban environments during heatwaves. A groundbreaking study led by University of Surrey reveals that botanical gardens, wetlands and parks play a crucial role in mitigating extreme heat in cities. By analysing various green spaces and waterways, researchers found that botanical gardens can lower city temperatures by up to 5 degrees during heatwaves, offering both aesthetic beauty and climate resilience. From street trees to rain gardens, these green spaces not only provide cooling benefits, but also contribute to carbon sequestration and flood prevention, making cities more livable and sustainable. Next, we journey to China, where a revolution in urban mobility is underway. China's innovative IRT Railless tramways are pioneering a future of flexible, efficient, and eco friendly public transportation. By eliminating fixed tracks and utilizing advanced navigation technology, these tramways seamlessly integrate into city streets, offering unparalleled flexibility and adaptability. This groundbreaking approach to urban mobility not only eases congestion, but also reduces carbon emissions, paving the way for smarter, greenish cities. And finally, we turn our attention to the financial sector, where Barclays, a leading British bank, is taking bold steps towards a more sustainable future. In a landmark decision, Barclays has announced the cessation of direct financing for new oil and gas fields, signalling a transformative shift in energy financing strategy. This decisive move aligns with Barclays' commitment to environmental sustainability and reflects a broader trend in the financial sector towards greener investments. By redirecting funds towards renewable energy initiatives, Barclays aims to play a pivotal role in accelerating the transition to a cleaner, more sustainable energy future. Whether it's cooling our cities with green spaces, revolutionizing urban mobility, or reshaping energy finance, each of these initiatives bring us closer to a brighter, greener future. These stories remind us that positive change is possible when we harness innovation, collaboration, and a shared commitment to sustainability. I hope you enjoy the positive news. Let's keep smiling until the next episode.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bioeconomy Matters. Today, we are going to explore a very interesting link, a link between microbiology, mental health, illnesses, and bioeconomy. I'm joined today with Carolina Costa. Uh, Carolina, before we dive into our discussion, which honestly, I am very excited for, could you please take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners, tell us a bit about who you are, what you do, and any projects or passions that you're currently working on?
1: Yeah, so, first of all, hi Haley and Hello. hi everyone. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here with you today. And thank you so much for inviting me. So I'm Carolina. I'm a microbiologist. I have a bachelor in microbiology and a master's in applied microbi- microbiology. So I really like microorganisms. <laughs> and I'm currently in my final year of my PhD in biomedical sciences. And what I'm studying right now is the human microbiome and its impact on human behavior, uh, personality, and mental health. So basically, its impact on the brain. And I'm doing my research in University of Porto in Portugal and also in the University of Oxford in the UK.
2: Amazing. Okay, so a very well-accomplished guest we have here today. (laughs) Thank Uh, you. So to begin with, uh, let's start with the basics. So the aim of this podcast is to break down what bioeconomy means and what it means in different fields. And since you come from a scientific perspective, uh, could you explain to our listeners who might not be so familiar with what bioeconomy means, but from a scientific perspective?
1: I will try. (laughs) So according to the European Union, Bioeconomy means using renewable biological resources and this can be anything from microorganisms and crops and forests and animals to produce um, food or animal feed, materials, energy. So basically the goal of the bioeconomy is to create new products and new services, um, create economic growth that is aligned with sustainability. So it, may, it, it aims to mitigate climate change and, and promote more sustainable natural resources, basically reduce environmental pressure while still having economic growth. And scientifically speaking, this can mean a lot of things. Um, for example, using bacteria as a source of energy, which is already being done, where you have certain species of bacteria that can produce energy by metabolizing organic matter in wastewaters, for example. And what we have here is basically a win-win situation because the water is getting clean because the bacteria are essentially eating away the organic matter. But you're also getting a high-value product out of it, in this case, electricity, for example. Uh, so that's pretty much what the bioeconomy means in a scientific perspective is you try to keep resources in use for as long as possible and really utilize them to their full potential and when you reach the end of the service life you try to recover high value products from these resources so you you follow a principle of circularity you know you minimize waste and you try to recover high value products so you have a little Closed loop because ideally, all the waste would be valorized in some way, um, in contrast to our traditional linear economy, which is more of a make use dispose mm-hmm. philosophy.
2: So, you have uh, your research bridges the gap between clinical microbiology and neuroscience. Can you break down more about what this entails for our audience, especially those like me without a scientific background? <laughs>
1: Okay, so my research is about the human microbiome, which is the community of microorganisms that colonize our body. And this includes bacteria and viruses and and parasites and fungi, basically everything, (laughs) all the tiny bugs in our body. And the microbiome has been a hot topic of research for the last decade, um, especially the gut microbiome, because it really has a very big impact on our health. You know, most people usually, when they hear about bacteria and viruses, they assume that it's all bad. (laughs) You know, we want to stay away from them. And that's just not true because our microbiome plays a huge role in our well-being. It helps us with digestion and produces vitamins and it um, stimulates and educates our immune system. So we're protected against threats. It also helps fight off infections and prevent them. So... We just wouldn't be alive without the microorganisms in our body. And, you know, for the most part, we live in peace with them. (laughs) And when we start to have an imbalance of our microbial community, we call this imbalance dysbiosis. That's when we start to have a problem. Because in dysbiosis, what happens is usually you have a loss of diversity of bacteria species. And diversity is always good in a community. So when you have an imbalance, usually potentially harmful bacteria will proliferate and beneficial bacteria will tend to disappear. So you'll have more bacteria that can cause infection and inflammation, and that's just not good. (laughs) And this, this biosis is associated with a ton of health issues. We already know that, like a ton. (laughs) <laughs> from obesity to diabetes to cardiovascular diseases autoimmune disorders and and even some, some types of cancer so so it's yeah, the
2: organisms inside of us that result they can in have it? an
1: impact yes oh. of course it's not they're not the sole culprits because they, these are all multifactorial uh disorders but yes they do have an impact and for you to have an idea of how much the microbiome has an impact there's a really cool study that they did with mice where they have obese mice and they Mm -hmm. have um, thin mice and they transferred the gut microbiome from the obese mice into the healthy mice and they didn't change the diet they didn't change the environment they didn't change anything else and the mice became obese as well yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's how much the microbiome actually has an impact. And and that's why some researchers call it the last human organ to be studied, because it has such an impact that it's like an organ, basically.
2: Yeah. Well, yes. I, I didn't I didn't know. I mean, I knew there was something like within our gut or anything, but I didn't know it had this much of an impact on it our does. lives. It does.
1: <laughs> Yes, and, and we've known about this for a little while, but only very recently did we realize that this actually has an impact on our mental health as well. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds kind of like science fiction. That's what a lot of people tell me, because it's like, how can the bacteria in my gut affect my brain? That doesn't make any sense. And I get it. <laughs> but the truth is, they, they really can, because um the bacteria in our gut can actually communicate with our nervous system and so they can indirectly communicate with our brain
2: um
1: yeah yeah. and they do this through a series of mechanisms that we call the gut brain axis where basically they're involved in the production of neurotransmitters you know like serotonin for example and other molecules that communicate with the nervous system um And also bacteria can cause inflammation, which we know has an impact on our brain and is very associated with mental health symptoms like anxiety, for example. Um, So yeah, they can absolutely, the gut is absolutely communicating with the brain and the brain is also affecting the gut. So it's like there's the directionality here and a really good example of how the brain can affect the gut is when we're really, really nervous and suddenly Mm -hmm. we get a tummy ache. Or we have to
2: run to the bathroom. (laughs) Ah, look at that. I know that like my grandma's dog, she, uh, he is when she's excited. So (laughs) maybe the organisms are functioning a bit too well.
1: Uh, Yes, because, you know, we have, when we're stressed, our brain starts producing cortisol and all these molecules that are going to affect our peristaltic pristalt- movements in the gut, and it's just going to change everything. So we have the gut affecting the brain and the brain affecting the gut. <laughs> it's okay. a complicated process. Well, thank uh, you
2: for laying the foundation of all these yeah. organisms. Um, so now diving into more bioeconomy, so the application of microbiology in the realm of bioeconomy, you already mentioned a bit that it's like a renewable resource. Are there any specific projects or innovations with regards to this?
1: Yes, (laughs) I think there's a lot that you can do with microbiology when it comes to bioeconomy, um, I can give you some more examples where we have like bacteria and yeast converting wastewater and and feedstocks that would be just waste and they're converting it into biofuels, for example, that are alternatives to fossil fuels. And you have the same being done uh, from food waste, like converting food waste into biogas, meaning You have less waste to dispose of, and you also have a renewable energy source that you can use. So again, those win-win situations. Mm -hmm. And um, Composting is another fun application because, you know, the microorganisms break down the organic matter. So you're, again, reducing the amount of waste that you'll have to, you know, that ends up in landfills. And you have compost, which can be used to improve soil quality and support the agriculture and food production. Food production is another great one because microorganisms can be used to produce, for example, high-quality proteins. So you can reduce the reliance on more environmentally damaging protein sources. And, And some microorganisms themselves can be an excellent source of protein, like spirulina for example, which is mentioned a lot as a superfood, like you see people adding it to their smoothies.
2: <laughs> oh, but what is it supposed to do?
1: It's just a really good source of protein and nutrients. So okay. it's just, is it the yeah, protein powder? It, yeah, it, it's, it, you can add it to protein powder. It's like this blue greenish um color. <laughs> it's a supplement basically. And okay. it's just, you know, it's again, a renewable resource. Oh, microorganisms can also produce biopesticides, which is really good because we know that chemical pesticides have adverse effects on the environment and our health. So they're just bad. (laughs) Um, We have microorganisms breaking down pollutants. So they help clean up contaminated soil and water. Some can clean crude oil, some can clean heavy metals and pesticides and even dyes from the textile industry. Oh, and bioplastics! Bioplastics is a really exciting one. Uh, microorganisms can produce bioplastics from renewable resources like wastewater and even corn starch. And what's great is that these bioplastics, first of all, reduce our dependence on fossil-based plastics, and they're 100% biodegradable. So we're really reducing plastic waste in the environment. And and that is actually how I first heard about bioeconomy because <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was. Yeah, (laughs) I was lucky enough to work on a project between my master's and my PhD Yeah, where we did exactly this. So the university had a partnership with the brewery industry and they were providing us with beer waste and we were using it to feed bacteria that would break it down and produce uh, bioplastic particles that were 100% biodegradable. So the goal was to recover these particles and use them to create the packaging for the beer.
2: Oh, which is wow.
1: A, yeah, which is a great example of circular bioeconomy. So you yeah. have the weight being valorized and used in the same industry.
2: That sounds like such a fun and exciting project. Like, yeah, it was
1: really fun. I if I had a
2: scientific a background, I I would absolutely be interested in doing this. My sister does have a scientific background, so maybe ah, oh, that's cool. Push her into this. <laughs> <laughs> you can completely create your own beer and the packaging all in one.
1: Yes, it was great, <laughs> but there's a lot of exciting projects going on at currently, and there was one that I read about a few days ago from a team. I think it was. They're based in New York, I think. Basically, they engineered bacteria that can degrade plastic and create biodegradable silk, which is really cool. Oh, my (laughs) God. Right? They said the silk was very similar to spider silk and could be potentially used in the fashion industry or even medicine. And it's also biodegradable, which is really cool because we know that we have a lot of waste from the fashion industry thanks to fast fashion. so that that was really exciting.
2: <laughs> yeah, we actually had an episode last week about sustainable fast fashion. Uh, but wouldn't the biodegradable silk mm-hmm. like after how long would it degrade?
1: Oh, I don't know. I think they're still testing it out. But um, just the fact that it's biodegradable makes me very excited. <laughs> yeah,
2: it sounds very interesting. But at the same time, like as a consumer perspective, yeah, I just think yeah. like. Will my clothes just start biodegrading at some point? <laughs> like, <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, how long is their, you know, s- lifespan? But if it yeah. has, like, a good lifespan, then absolutely.
1: Because yeah, even the landfill
2: is full of fashion waste.
1: Exactly. And I think they would be degradable by other microorganisms, possibly. So I, I feel like it would be a controlled thing. That and hopefully your bones wouldn't disappear while you were wearing them
2: (laughs) you wouldn't think it's that fast but yeah ideally not
1: (laughs) ideally not (laughs) Uh,
2: so back to the mental health aspect because you highlighted something very interesting which honestly before i read your biography i would have not ever thought this was even possible Um, But we often hear about the importance of mental health in our society. And I was wondering if you believe that there is a correlation between mental health and our economy. And if your research has shed light on this connection.
1: Yes, definitely. I I do think mental health and the economy are deeply intertwined, I I would say. Because we know, and there are studies showing this, but I think we all know (laughs) Uh, that being from a low socioeconomic status has a huge impact on mental health, because you have a ton of factors like unemployment or or precarious employment, that um, housing insecurity, poverty, all these experiences affect mental health and put people at a higher risk for developing mental health problems. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, we know that during economic recessions, for example, we have a higher prevalence of depression and anxiety and, and even suicide. So, yeah. Uh, and and there's also the question of inequality in access to healthcare. Because if you're from a lower socioeconomic status, you're not going to have the same access to, to healthcare or to proper care as someone else would. And, you know, unfortunately in many countries going to see a therapist or a psychiatrist is so expensive. That it is considered the luxury. Yeah. So yeah, someone who is struggling financially will not have the same access to treatment as someone who has financial security. And that's why I tend to disagree when people say that money doesn't buy happiness. <laughs> it might be therapy. But it really helps. <laughs> so yeah. And I do think it goes the other way around as well. So the economy affects mental health. And mental health affects the economy because, you know, mental illnesses drastically reduce productivity in workers. We hear about burnout all the time. It's very frequent. And when with people demonstrating reduced productivity and needing higher levels of healthcare, this will also increase the economic burden. So it's like such a complex connection between things. Um, That's a really interesting
2: connection though. Like, I didn't think of it myself, but now that you say it, it makes so much sense. The fact that yeah. mental health can also influence our economy. Um, and in bioeconomy, we also say like, of course, we want to promote a bioeconomy because, yes, it's better for the environment. But after all, it would also be better for our health to live in yeah. a clean and healthy environment. Now there's this uh, really interesting correlation between you know mental health and the economy. So how can bioeconomy influence our mental health? Does it have positive influence consequences? What are the impacts of this?
1: I I would think so because bioeconomy, again, as you said, is supposed to help us live in a cleaner environment. Uh a safer environment, mitigate climate change. I think all of these things will inevitably help our mental health because we see there's a lot of climate anxiety. It's being talked about a lot. So it's definitely something that worries people. And um, now that I'm I'm thinking about my research (laughs) and we're studying the microbiome, which affects mental health, and you know the bio bioeconomy also helps with that because when it comes to health sciences the bioeconomy basically encourages um that we create and develop new products and new services and new diagnos- diagnostic methods that can promote health mm-hmm. so basically a health centered medicine where you Focus on prevention through lifestyle improvement and, and functional foods and, you know, all of that instead of our current medicine, which is a treatment-centered medicine where you get sick and you need to be treated, yes. which also has a significant economic burden. Um, and Um Maybe so, also the way it's produced,
2: the medicine? Yeah,
1: exactly. So you have a lot of chemicals involved. You have a lot of waste. And bioeconomy really encourages you know, production of supplements and superfoods from natural sources. And that's pretty much, I think, where the microbiome shines. (laughs) Because, you know, our genes right now cannot be easily manipulated, maybe Mm -hmm. in the future. (laughs) But the microbiome can be modulated, can be changed um, to, to make us feel better and to give us better overall health and this is right up the alley of personalized medicine which is a concept that the bioeconomy really connects with because instead of having a you know a one treatment fits all approach mm-hmm. you'll have something per- personalized and targeted and our goal with our research and i'm not saying just me i'm saying every research studying the microbiome we want to characterize the microbiome and see how it correlates with mental health and behavior and personality and all that so we can identify targets. And these targets can be used for modulation. And one of the most common ways to modulate the microbiome is using probiotics, which we've pretty much all heard about. And these are you know, pre-, pro- and postbiotics. These are all in the realm of personalized nutrition. Mm-hmm. And these are all great examples of services and Uh, and products that utilize natural resources and you know microorganisms to contribute to public health so it eventually lessens the economic burden that our treatment-centered medicine entails and also it's a really profitable market (laughs) because like I was checking some some values in the aero probiotics market size I think for this year estimated to be at Thirteen billion U.S. dollars, <laughs> exactly, <Wow. laughs> and it's it's expected to keep growing. So yeah, definitely I, contributes to the economy.
2: <laughs> something I was actually thinking right before you said this was: Is this even affordable? Yeah. <laughs> so is it affordable for the average consumer to buy, you know, medicine that will influence their health positively, mm-hmm. but is not based on chemicals?
1: Yeah. So, uh, also, I just wanted to do, because you mentioned chemi- chemicals, it's not bad that it's based on chemicals. It's more like the production, mm-hmm. um, the way that it is produced. Now we hear about about uh, a lot about green chemistry and there's labs that are working on that, which is really good, because it's like trying their best to just not have a lot of waste. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but uh, going back to your question, it is affordable because we have a lot. So it's such a profitable market that we have a lot of brands coming onto it, and they have to have competitive prices.
2: <laughs> mm, yeah, because it's a new thing
1: for exactly. people to try
2: it out. It has to be affordable.
1: Exactly, and there's a lot coming out, and it, we're expecting a lot more to come out in the in the next few years because you know there are a lot of studies being done with probiotics and their uh, effects on mental health. With really good results. So we we even call it, there's a term for it, which is psychobiotics. Because <laughs> they're so good for your psychological health. <laughs> so there's a lot of brands trying to jump on it.
2: <laughs> but that's not a, such a bad thing, I guess.
1: No, no, I think it's good.
2: <laughs> yeah. So looking ahead, what other... Innovations do you think will come up with the realm of like mental health and just our health in general, microbiology and bioeconomy? Do you think our doctors will be trained in this or are they being already?
1: I don't know. Oh, I think okay. So, ideally, again, we would move towards um, a personalized medicine because I think that's, I think that makes a lot more sense. Because, for example, going back to probiotics as, a, as an example, Probiotics were talked about in the 70s, okay? So, so they're not new, mm-hmm. but at the time, people kind of gave up on them because it was like, oh, this doesn't work. And the reason why probiotics don't work for some people is because they are very much or they should be used in a personalized way. Meaning, if we study the microbiome of people with anxiety and we um discover that people with tendencies to have you know anxious thoughts or anxiety symptoms or whatever have a lack of a certain bacteria in their gut for example lactobacillus so people with anxiety lack lactobacillus we can give them a probiotic that is rich in lactobacillus and those people will feel a difference but what happens is if you have a ton of lactobacillus in your gut and you take a probiotic with lactobacillus, that's not going to do anything to you. (laughs) Yeah, of course. So that's pretty much why people, and and still some people think like probiotics don't work. They do if they're used in a targeted way. And that's why a lot of brands now have a ton of bacteria in their supplements so that they can get it right. You know, you'll be lacking something (laughs) that they put on it. So this is a really good example of personalized medicine. And I do think that there's a tendency to move towards it, both in mental health and general health. I just think it's complicated. I do think there has to be an encouragement um, and an investment that maybe isn't really being done so far. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it will, but... (laughs) You know, there's a lot. It's really hard to change traditional ways of doing things. Yeah. Yeah, very I much would so.
2: say But the future does look hopeful. Especially it does. Lea. It for does. me, I, I'm more of a person who really tries to go for the natural options. And mm-hmm. I'm very into like mental health and health and whatever. Uh, and I try to avoid like probiotics, like not probiotics, paracetamol and stuff like that yeah like if I know I can conquer the cold I won't take any pointers at all or if I have any menstruation cramps I'm just like I'm just gonna suffer through I'm just gonna suffer through I'm exactly the same way <laughs> yeah. I'm
1: exactly the same way I'm like no I'm not in I'm in pain but not that much pain
2: exactly exactly <laughs> yeah or else I'll just try and go with the older uh, medicine like I don't know, taking a cl- a cup of warm water with like honey yeah. and lemon just to like soothe. <laughs> or like if my throat is hurting, I'd rather take that over like a lozenge or something. So the yeah. fact that you know we're, um, the future looks like we're hopefully going to have more personalized medication from like more natural sources. That looks yes. like a really good future we have ahead.
1: <laughs> hopefully, for medicine
2: <laughs> at least. Yes. Well, amazing. Thank you very much for taking the time to come on our podcast and explain things in a very simplified manner. Like I was able to follow you all the way through and I really appreciate that.
1: Oh, so, I'm so glad. Thank you.
2: <laughs> no, thank you. And so before we wrap up, where can people find you if they want to connect with you?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Probably on LinkedIn.
2: <laughs> LinkedIn, amazing.
1: Yes. <laughs> so,
2: yeah. Um, Carolina Costa.
1: Carolina Costa on LinkedIn. Yes. Okay, that's great. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much once again.
1: Thank you for tuning in
2: to Bioeconomy Matters. I would like to express our heartfelt gratitude to BioBeo, who proudly funds this podcast and supports our mission to share with you all that Bioeconomy has to offer. Our podcasts are released bi-monthly on Wednesdays, so don't forget to subscribe And stay connected with us on social media. We are at b.y.a.eu on Instagram and at b underscore y underscore a underscore eu on Twitter or X. And remember, bioeconomy matters and you do too.